Hey everyone, I wanted to give you a heads up that this episode of Close to Death mentions substance abuse and overdose. You might want to keep that in mind as you're listening. And take care. A few years ago, one of my friends died from an opioid overdose. The opioid crisis is real. I've lost a lot of friends to it as well. I'm really sorry to hear that. It's really shocking, right? Like, sometimes people seem totally fine. And he was doing great. Like, he was doing so much work on his career. He was writing a bunch. We were making videos. He had launched a satirical news website. And when I look back, I would say, you know, the week that it happened, there were some warning signs. But I just never wanted to think that it was because he was using again. So I'm still getting used to the idea that he's gone. And I'm not fully ready to let him go. So I find myself trying to keep him alive in various ways. I find myself trying to preserve his memory. Yeah, and the question is, how do we do that in a respectful way, but also as artists, maybe in a unique way and in a way that he would have um, appreciated? I'm Utkar Shambudkar, and this is Close to Death. Today, Mary Beth Barone is going to tell us about keeping the dead alive. Sort of. Mary Beth is a stand-up comedian, a writer, and a youngest child. She's performed on The Tonight Show, Comedy Central, and at clubs and festivals all over the country. So is there any particular thing that reminds you of your friend? Well, what's nice is that before he died, we made some videos together. So I go back and watch them sometimes just to, you know, remember remember the good old days. And after he died, we made some custom t-shirts that he'd always talked about but never made. This was after the election and those nasty woman t-shirts were popular. So he'd always said he wanted to make a shirt that said nasty man. And one of his friends, who's a very talented artist, like drew a picture of him uh, smoking a cigarette in his favorite t-shirt. So that's really nice to, to have too. But the most recurring thing that reminds me of him is this weekly calendar event for a project that we had planned to do. And I, you know, I set it to be recurring every week because, you know, why would we ever stop? And whenever it pops up, I look at my phone and I take a second to remember him. And in that way, I am sort of keeping his memory alive. Yeah, it sounds like you're honoring him in a lot of different ways. Sounds like he had a huge impact on your life. I took a lot of screenshots of our texts as well, just to like have those to kind of flip through sometimes. And it does help. Of course it does. I've done the same thing. I I text people who have passed on. It feels really normal to try to hold on to a part of somebody we've lost. And I'm not sure why or what it does for us. So I sought the wisdom of someone whose job it is to make mementos out of the once living. The first animal was a squirrel. This is Divya Ananthraman. Divya is a taxidermist. It was one that I found while hiking and was like, well, I've got my little roadkill collecting, <laughs> my little roadkill collecting cooler, which is basically a dollar store lunchbox and my gloves. And I think I shut myself in for the rest of the weekend and just worked on it. I pulled out every book that I had. It was a little overwhelming and it was kind of it was kind of a blur that whole weekend, honestly. <laughs> Divya lives in Brooklyn, and she's always loved animals, especially birds. 
I mean, they're living dinosaurs. They can go anywhere they want to. They can fly. Um, I have to like buy a ticket to go do that, to fly. And I have to, you know, (laughs) get really uncomfortable and smush myself into this little metal tube to do what a bird does on its own. Before she started collecting dead squirrels on hikes, you know, as we all do, Divya worked in fashion. So her taxidermy vibe is like animal kingdom chic. What I offer is not deer heads on a wall or something. You know, it's little birds and dioramas and it's sort of stuff that has a little more, stuff that's on a scale-wise smaller, but stuff that has a different sort of storytelling behind it. She's talking about stories that don't feature camo-clad men shooting muskets resulting in lifeless moose antlers over their sprawling fireplaces. You know, you've seen them in horror movies. Divya is on a mission to change taxidermy from stodgy to sensational. The taxidermy she makes is straight-up art, and I'm not just saying that. Her work won an award at the World Taxidermy Championships, and Divya has a dedicated following. There are a lot of people who follow me that won't even buy taxidermy or won't even, like, ever pick up a scalpel in their life, and that's fine. And I think that taxidermy gives them this opportunity to get close to an animal and look at an animal in a way that that they wouldn't have before. You know, it's not to make light of an animal's death. It's to sort of show, like, listen, this is a truth in our lives. Like, death is going to happen to all of us, you know? Like, everything ends at one point. Do you think that in your line of work, has it changed how you process grief and death? I think there's a perception that I must be desensitized to it since I see, you know, since I work with it and see it every day. But it's actually increased my sensitivity to it. And it's sort of really increased my empathy I have for for other people, death related or not, because there's no way that you can do this kind of work and not see how precious and how delicate life is. So what was it specifically about stuffing dead animals that made you say, this is what I meant to do. This is what I love. This is my career. Well, I've always loved natural history. I've always loved animals. And most of my access to animals has been through museums, through seeing taxidermy animals, because I've always grown up in a city. When I, so when I was younger and I would look at these animals in the museums and I was wondering about who was the person that made this? Gosh, how much time did they have to spend studying this animal to make it look like the real thing? You know, anything a human touches also has that person's hand reflected in it. Even when you're signing your grocery receipt, you know, your signature is there. Like your, your hand is in everything. So that side of it really fascinated me. I can totally imagine a precocious young Divya on a school field trip looking at a diorama in the Museum of Natural History and thinking, I could do so much better. Divya started off making taxidermy for museums, galleries, and home collections. This is taxidermy for people who would notice and appreciate the difference between several kinds of pheasants, a level of expertise I personally don't have. I want people to perceive it as something that is driven by conservation. When you bring people over to your house, are they surprised? Do you have a lot of taxidermy in your home? What's the what's the vibe? So I personally don't think I have a lot of taxidermy in my home um, because I'm looking at my collectors. I'm looking at my clients who some of them are, you know, some of them are collectors. Some of them are people who basically live in a museum. And I'm like, I have a few. I think I have like five or ten really cool pieces. But then I have like skulls and little like I have a feather collection and, and stuff like that. I collect eggs. When people see, like, you know, if they come over to my place and they're like, oh, is that a real bird? I'm like, well, yeah, it's still, re- I mean, you don't become any less real when you're dead. You know? <laughs> like, right. 
You still retain, you know, most of those properties, except you're no longer sentient. Yeah, exactly. Divya's Brooklyn studio feels kind of like a doctor's office. White walls, wooden shelving, lab coats hanging in the corner, but without the receptionist being mean to me. And Divya is like a mad scientist of style. She's got this gorgeous dark hair, these tresses that just flow, and winged eyeliner. When we meet, she's wearing a leopard print shirt, a bold lip, and a black leather apron. This is my like favorite work apron. Putting on the apron is like, all right, it's work time. I'll be showing you the process of taxidermy with this Goldian Finch. This is how taxidermy starts. So this is a specimen that was in my freezer. Yep. Divya has a freezer full of dead animals. Probably a better use of freezer space than my frozen acai that I have no idea how to make. And I thawed it out in alcohol overnight. Um, And the alcohol, what it does is it kind of wets the feathers. But because um, finches are so small, their skin is really delicate. The alcohol also kind of helps toughen the skin up a bit. And with the feathers wet, I can sort of find the area that I'll be making the incision for, for skinning. The finch is mostly brown, but has a bright yellow and white belly. It's tiny and could easily fit in your hand. So right now you're using a Q-tip to, it looks like, make way amongst the feathers. Yeah, that's a really, that's such a pretty way to describe it, make way. (laughs) Yeah, so what I'm doing is um, separating the feathers right at, um, right along the breastbone. And a lot of times with, um, with birds, people don't realize that birds are, you know, they, we see feathers all over their body, but the feathers don't actually grow on every single part of their body. They grow in tracts. So to make my first little incision for taxidermy here on this little finch, I kind of move the feathers out of the way to expose one of those featherless tracts that occur on the bird. And I'll make my incision. So you'll see I'm using this really small blade, but I'm cutting right down the breastbone. And I'm cutting through just the skin because that's all we want to keep. So I'm really delicately using this sort of, so just sort of this little scoop-like tool to move the skin away from the body. And then you peel it back very gently with your fingers. Yeah, very, very gently peeling it back. I'm not seeing blood and guts ooze out of the bird. And that's because everything Divya does is super careful and graceful. She knows all the bird's joints and ligaments, where she can apply pressure and where she can't. I feel like I'm watching something sacred. Like, should I even be here? But no, I can be here. Legally, I checked. I've been welcomed into the glorious church of Divya. Divya makes a delicate cut at the finch's neck and peels the skin from the body. So the skin looks like nothing without the body in it. It looks like the bird just kind of took its took its clothes off yeah <laughs> inside yeah. out yeah it's really like a sh- it's quite literally a shell of um of a bird then divya scoops the brain out of the bird which is oddly satisfying she like gets it all out in one piece whenever i do classes and people are like oh i want to see the brain i feel bad saying that it's broken down already you know it's mm. most of it is water so it's um sort of liquidy goo. And it's like a grayish color? Um, it's pinkish. And now what I'm doing is just swabbing the inside of the skull to, to clean any of that excess brain matter off. All of this for a bird that probably weighed less than an ounce when it was alive. So much of taxidermy is seen as like, oh, the biggest, the baddest, the most, like, you know, all of, <laughs> all of that. And I kind of like, 
just the animals I've always noticed in my life, like the, the ones I see in the park, they're always so small, you know, those so, sort of small or forgotten or kind of like underappreciated animals are, they resonate with me more than something huge. <laughs> they're the ones with the little secret lives as well. Yeah, they kind of have secret lives. And it's also incredible. I mean, looking at an animal that's so small, I mean, as I'm working on this bird here, everything for its life was in this tiny inch and a half long packet of, you know, of wonder. This particular finch is for an aviary. But sometimes clients ask her to do more than take apart and put a creature back together. Sometimes the job requires her to literally transform one animal into another. One day, Divya got a VIP request for this kind of taxidermy. I got an email that just says, like, Neil Patrick Harris. And I was like, thinking in my head, I was like, oh, this is probably spam. Because <laughs> I was like, people like this don't just email people like me. You know, <laughs> they don't just send an email. But I opened it up. But it was him. It was not spam. And it was like, oh, you know, you made this, uh, you made this shadow box for my friend. And it was so beautiful. And she was so happy with it. You know, I would love to talk to you about purchasing a bird and I was like, these are the birds I have right now. I don't know what else you'd want. And then he was like, well, I've always been looking for a flamingo. And I was like, well, I don't have flamingos. I can ask around about flamingos. But if I don't find any, I've always wanted to make these replicas. And then I sent him some renderings of replicas. And it went from there. Yeah, most people, even celebrities, don't just have dead flamingos lying around. And they're not an animal you'd stumble into on a hike. So Divya made a flamingo out of parts of other birds, including, but not limited to, geese. That was a really cool project because it kind of went beyond just the traditional taxidermy. Kind of brought in some of my fashion and other skills too, because I had to, um, I had to dye those feathers. I had to pigment those feathers. I mean, I sculpted everything down to, I sculpted those legs, so right down to those little, little flamingo toenails. You know, <laughs> just, wow. just sculpting all of this stuff, and it was, um, you know, it was a really, it was a really fun project. Looking at the photo of Divya with these birds in flamingo drag, you would never know that they weren't born bright pink with long legs. And Divya, of course, not to be outdone, is also a fabulous creation, wearing a long wavy pink wig and a glittering dress. She's sitting on a green velvet couch with her arm around one of the flamingos, and the other bird is standing on the couch looking like royalty. This all reflects Divya's take on taxidermy. It's not crude, brutal, and morbid. It's artistic, fashionable, and full of personality. Once Divya felt like she'd got personality down, she started working on pets. Talk about high stakes. No one wants to botch the family parakeet. The first pet that I ever did taxidermy on was a pet rat. They're really, really sweet pets. They're very smart. They're very, very affectionate. Um, and you know, they're not like, they're not like our sub, even though our subway rats have, you know, the city rats, they have their own charm. They have their own ecological niche. They've, they, they fought for it like tooth and nail, literally tooth and nail, like, you know, pizza rat did amazing things for rat PR. I think just, you know, showing how human they are. They love pizza as well. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't fault any creature that loves pizza and, <laughs> I go off pizza rat, <laughs> but um, we support you. Yeah, we support you, pizza rat. 
but yeah, this pet rat, um, you know, this client had a really, you know, they had, they had a really long bond. Um, the rat died of sickness and, you know, she was really, she was really emotionally distraught. And I remember during that first meeting, I was like, I can't bring your pet back. I want you to go back and reflect on what you want to get out of me performing taxidermy on your pet. Do you want this memory? Do you want this to be a stand-in for your pet? You know, you have to, you have to think of what you want. A few days after the client, she called me and she was like, you know, I really appreciate you telling me that because, you know, at first she wanted her rat set up sort of in like a little active pose, like holding a little treat and, you know, sitting under, you know, sitting on a little pillow um, with the eyes open. But then she was like, you know, I just want, I just, I just want her curled up and sleeping. Okay. For the record, I would also like to be taxidermied, curled up in a ball sleeping. But with pet taxidermy, it's way different than it's way different than museum work. It's way different than home decor because you're capturing a memory. You're capturing someone's relationship with that animal. In some ways, people are like, oh, my gosh, don't you get so nervous with museum work? And I'm like, no, because it just has to look like the animal. You know, it has to look like like this sparrow or this hummingbird has to look like a hummingbird. It doesn't have to look like, you know. 30 years of a bond, you know, that someone has with this, with a creature. How do you even go about like capturing the personality of a living creature that's no longer living? It's a lot of just looking and researching and just, just looking at something and seeing how does this move? How does their face move? So, you know, parrots, they have, they have so much personality, you know, even though their their faces are really, their faces are more expressive than we give them credit for. But, you know, they have a lot of personality in like the way they hold their legs or the little like head movements. And they're, you know, like one little head tilt can, you know, like just a few degrees to the left or a few degrees to the right can turn it from just like stiff and just like bird on a stick looking to a sassy little bird. Working with pets adds a new dimension to taxidermy. They're not just going to sit in a museum. These creatures were deeply loved by someone. They were part of a person's life and their family. They were there for it all, from the baby's first steps, to the ugly cries, to the embarrassing solo dance parties. So when Divya works with pets, she puts on mellow, meditative music. She sets the mood, lights candles, and puts flowers out in her studio. Because I want it to be, you know, I want, I want it to be special. Are there any kind of rituals you do before you take that first incision? Yeah, I usually try and read something relevant. There are a few like really good pet loss accounts I follow. I think one quote I can think of off the top of my head, which is one that just, it just freaking breaks me is, if love could have saved you, you would have lived forever. There's actually a lot of work that goes into getting someone's dead pet to look lifelike. You can't just hand someone their bird's peeled off skin. Debbie uses foam or balsa wood to sculpt and recreate the animal's body and then fits the skin over that. It's like clothes on a custom mannequin or any time I've tried to put on a latex dress. I have this little guy here who's in progress. So I figured wow. I'd show you. Is that um, a cockatiel? Yep, it is. It's a cockatiel. 
So a cockatiel is a really sassy bird. This, I'm sort of showing you the mid process, like right before something is done. So you have that skin, you have that form. Once it's sewn up, you kind of have to hold the feathers in place. So that's why he's all pinned up and wrapped up. Did you receive kind of information about what the pet was like, what the bird was like in its life? Yeah, she sent a photo. Um, she sent a photo. She wanted him in this pose, leaning to one side and has his head like slightly tilted a bit. So she sent me a photo of that. It was him doing that, but he was a lot younger. So it was a bit of a challenge because I'm like, okay, so his head is tilted like that, but his feathers, he had like a full crest of feathers in that photo. But here he only has, you know, he's older, so he doesn't have all of those feathers on his, you know, on his funny little crest. So it was sort of kind of like still like looking at that, looking at this and seeing like, okay, where is the, you know, what captures that memory, but also compensates for what the bird looks like now as opposed to what he looked like in that photo. When she's got the cockatiel's inquisitive pose down, Divya sculpts and paints this little dude's eyelids and then gives him a full salon experience. So you can see that this feather, these are curled at the ends. So what I'm going to do is um, with like a little straight iron or a little curling iron, I would, I would straighten these out because the picture she sent me, they were, they were straight. They weren't curled. But yeah, other than that, I wouldn't do much aside from put, put him on a branch. And that's, that would be, that would be it. You get to really see the animal come alive in that way because you're, you're adding the lifelike stuff. And then he's complete. His second life is ready to begin. Yeah, his second life would be ready to begin. By the way, every kind of New Yorker you can imagine brings their frozen dead pets to Divya. I think one of my most memorable clients was this, like, amazingly glamorous lady who lived on the Upper East Side, and she had—she brought me her parrot in a Louboutin box. Oh, my God. I was like, wow, you are just, like, the most, like, archetypal, like, glamorous New York City lady. Like, she was dressed in a fur. Like, she stepped out of, like, you know, freaking, like, I was like, you came to my little studio in Flatbush, like, stepping out of this limo in your fur, like, you know, or like a fancy, not a limo, but like a fancy, uh, fancy car with a driver, like, you know, with your Louboutin box parrot. Like, wow. Would you ever taxidermy your own pets? I would not have my own pets preserved with taxidermy. And, you know, it's not because I don't like taxidermy, but I'm just so intimate with the process and I won't want, I don't, I just don't want to picture them going through that. I mean, you know, sometimes jokingly I'll be like, oh, I know what your insides look like, you know, (laughs) you know, because you do like, yes, you know, anyone, even a vet would know like what their pets insides look like, but I wouldn't want that memento, but I understand why people do choose to have to have that type of memento. But if somebody came to you and said, I feel like taxidermy is a way of, you know, prolonging grief or delaying it or avoiding it, what would you say to counter that? So if someone is making this decision that it is right for them, like who like who the who the, who the heck am I to say, you know, to say like no, this is not right for you. Just like there are lots of ways to honor a person's life and deal with human remains like cremation, mausoleums, gravestones, there are lots of ways to deal with grief. But speaking of human remains... A lot of the negative response about taxidermy and with people who say like, well, you wouldn't do that to your grandma. And it's like, if it was like a consensual thing, then to each their own, if no one's hurting anybody, like, I don't know, like, I don't even really know what to say. Yeah, there. I mean, there are people who want to 
maintain their physical form after they've gone if it's in their will or something but i agree with you i think if i think there are people that would if they could i mean there are are whole cultures out there that have these celebrations where they do keep their they do have their dead mummified um i think it's in indonesia there's a whole festival of um of bringing out the dead and you know adorning them and really celebrating their their life in a way so I think it's sort of like a Western culture thing where we look at preservation and death as something really taboo, something that we kind of sanitize and don't talk about. Even grief, like people are supposed expected to just get over it in, a, in X amount of time. So I don't know. But as far as like, I mean, I guess as far as like the social acceptance, I think a lot of that just comes or, comes around our attitudes on death. Personally, I want to age kind of like, I would like to just be used for science, but then like the goofy side of me is like, I want like just enough Jupiter in my face to last a year after. I don't know. Like, oh, for sure. After a certain amount of time, I just want to be like a perfect plastic orb. But, but practically, I just want to be like donated to science. I feel like Divya has Q-tipped, scalpeled, and brushed her way to the secrets of life and death. She's like a glamorous, wise grief whisperer. Just just last week, I had a call from a client who was like, she was really distressed because she was like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Like, everything is so expensive. Like, I can't find information on what, on, on how I can even keep my pet But while I make a decision. And I was like, all right, what you can do right now is just put her in your freezer and grieve and make your decision whenever you can. I was like, you can keep her in there for up to a year take care of yourself and don't feel pressured to make a decision and don't feel guilt because we can't stop the inevitable. You know, we can't stop death. And that reality, when it hits you, like it's like this really cosmic realization of just how fleeting it is and how precious um, every moment we have here is. When someone dies, there's always so much pressure to organize a funeral right away, to know immediately what to do with the body and how to mourn as if there isn't enough stress during that time. Divya's advice to slow down makes it easier to see what's still there after death. They can't take away that memory or experience or relationship. That's why I keep the calendar invite for my friend and why people ask Divya to preserve their sweet rat or sassy cockatiel. Death is inevitable, but that doesn't mean we can't grieve and try to preserve what matters to us. I mean, Mary Beth, whoa, Zers, this woman knows a lot about skin and grief. Yeah, she does. People grieve the loss of pets pretty intensely. And then it's sort of Divya's job to come in and and help. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I remember how sad I was. I was nine years old when my hermit crabs, Andy and Randy, they both died on the same day. No. Oh, it was devastating. And I went down to the basement and I cried on the couch by myself. um, But it did not convince me to order a taxidermy version of them. Yeah, I think I'll stick to making t-shirts to preserve the loved ones, but to each their own. And if you want your house guest to think as much about your dead pet as you do, you can check out Divya's work at GothamTaxidermy.com. This episode was produced by Camille Peterson and Mary Beth Barone. Jordan Bailey is our lead producer. Production support from Allie Graham. 
I'm your host, Utkar Shambhutkar. Sarah Nix is executive editor. Greta Cohn is executive producer. Kesla Childers and Greg Lubin are executive producers for Powder Keg. Our USG audio team includes Josh Block, Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Lauren Rakow, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Mixing and sound design by Nocturnal Sound. Production assistance from Greta Weber and Maura Waltz. This is a USG audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media and Powder Keg. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com.